0: Hi, welcome to Upfront the podcast. I'm Katie Hannon. I'm going to be chatting to all sorts on here. Today, my guest is an international star of stage and screen, but they might also be people who can give us an inside track on the story of the week or people who have their own story to tell. The main thing is that whoever is on the other side of the mic, I'll ask the questions I think you'll want answers. And I'll try to get a little more for you than that, too. Each week, we'll bring a list of 20 upfront questions, put them into a random order and ask our guests to pick a number so they won't know which questions are coming up. And neither will I. Our first guest now for our first podcast is the acclaimed actor Liam Cunningham, who attributes his staunch left wing political views to his working class roots in North Dublin. And he agreed to kick off with one of those random questions. Okay, Liam, go ahead there. Give me a number from 1 to 20 and we'll get going. Number 5. Number 5, Liam Cunningham. The question is, would you break the law to protect someone you love?
1: Of course. It's insane not to. I don't have to think twice about that. I mean, listen, if you're not...
0: In any circumstances?
1: Well, now, if you're being specific, any law. Well, it depends on what the law is. I mean, the old phrase, the law is an ass, is uh, applicable to... uh, and laws get reformed all the time, so uh, yeah. But I mean, do you, do, uh, you know, how many people have been caught for shoplifting food when they've no money and were trying to feed their kids? I mean, techn- technically, I suppose, not even technically, literally, you're breaking the law. But but everybody would have sympathy for it, you know. So uh, yeah, that's that's not a very answer.
0: Okay, that was an easy one. Okay, uh, okay. Let's go with your own story then. Take me back right to the beginning, if you don't mind. We go back to East Wall. I know you were born there, but you were you moved out of there. Your family moved out of there when you were still fairly young. Yeah,
1: didn't I think yeah. I was think it was about nine years old or whatever. Yeah, went there to to uh, as I like to call it the dizzy heights of Kulak. Yeah.
0: And what was it like then? That would have been in around 1970, right?
1: Yeah, it would have been about that. Yeah. Uh, which bit? The Kulak bit.
0: The
1: Kulak bit, yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, sort of, sort of an inner city boy who, you know, used to explore the docks and the canal and all that sort of stuff uh, to go out and in my, in, in my back and to have a garden and then to walk around the, beyond the back, the garden fence or garden wall or whatever. Um, there was wheat fields. I'd never seen a wheat field in my life. And uh, and it was only just being built. Uh, Kulak was only being built at, at the time. So, so um, it was uh, the places to explore, the half-built houses and, you know, terraces and all that sort of stuff, um, and room. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was really cool.
0: Your father was a docker, right? Not a great time to be a docker, I would
1: have thought, the 70s and 80s. No, no, he went. he became a crane driver after that, and that didn't improve the situation too much either. Uh, yeah, when the whole... Um, roll on roll off things started coming in and suddenly the need for for dockers to unload stuff um was coming to an end but the, but they weren't certainly weren't handled with um their yeah. dignity the people that they wanted to let go it was yeah it was pretty ugly time and and uh not much money about um so uh, I mean at, at the age of 13 I ended up being a a lounge boy, which sounds rather rude, but we used to, um, you know, wait, waitering and waitressing drink to a table, whatever they call that now, a server or whatever they call it. Um so I did that from about thirteen, um, and uh, hand handed over the Manila envelope and kept kept a hold of me tips because uh, we needed to make up the um, what we didn't have with with my dad or anything.
0: So you you were actually contributing
1: to the household budget oh, from thirteen. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was quite yeah. And my listen, to the same ironically, the same as my dad. He left left school I think at thirteen or fourteen and went to work in uh uh in East Wall, in a wood a wood place down there, Lincoln Knowledge. And uh yeah, so he stopped but he was full time at thirteen, yeah. And then his dad broke his back in the hold of a ship. And uh I think the only compensation that the family got was to take on the son and uh, uh, to replace um, uh, my my grandfather's uh, useless body. Yeah.
0: And then I remember talking to somebody else about this at the time. Like the the dockers, they were the first zero hour contracts, really, weren't they? That yeah, you just the... turned up, and if there was work, you you got work and If there wasn't, you went home.
1: Yeah, yeah. It 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 ended up being very similar to what. What would happen in cricklewood in Kilburn? you know the uh the, the, the guys would be out at six in the morning and wait for a van to pull up and see see if there was work for the day and that sort of stuff yeah it's it's very very undignified and an awful way to treat people
0: okay so you're you're in your teens now uh you're doing lounge work to 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 uh supplement the family income what do you like
1: what do you like as a teenager in Kulak Uh, good question I was reasonably bright bright enough to keep me me head down when there was unscrupulous ne'er do wells looking for trouble um, around the estate which there always is any estate that's starting off like Tallar or 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 Kulak uh, in the 60s uh, if you're not providing infrastructure you know the opportunity for youth clubs or a cinema or you know any any of those things um, then you're going to get and and especially at that time when there wasn't much work on around, you are going to get dis- disinfected youth. They're going to look for trouble. That's just the it's the nature of the beast. Uh, each of us as human beings, um, and uh, so um, yeah, you just had to be kind of careful. And cross the street, your you, you, your your eyes looked way into the distance when you were walking on the streets to see if there was any imminent danger coming on the side of the road, and you you crossed over and kept your head down and went by.
0: What
1: made you so smart? And, um, well, I think they I, they skipped me a school uh, a class when I was in primary school, which I'd never recommend. And not only that, <clears throat> I was puberty arrived very late for me. And to to look at my hair head, you wouldn't think so. But uh, I was actually quite a late developer. So I was small, underdeveloped. They skipped me a class, so uh, you had to go into survival mode. I think. And then you, you got bullied. So I couldn't stand up for myself. So I think I fell for the old actor cliche of being the class clown. And, um, uh, and that's p- perhaps where I did some of my training for my later career change. I
0: charge. was just going to say that, actually. Is that where I started? it started? It may well have, yeah.
1: It may well have. And also I had an uncle. I only remember this the other day. Somebody was talking about it. My uncle Tony. Uh, again, not much money. And when he got married. He couldn't afford to take the uh he couldn't afford places for the kids at their wedding reception and whatever. So he threw a he threw a party in his basement flat. I remember up near Phoenix Park. Uh and we went in and he hung a sheet on the wall and got out an eight millimeter projector. And I remember watching, like really young, I can't remember, I couldn't have been any more than seven or eight. Uh, and he projected Frankenstein versus the Wolfman on the sheet. And I remember, I think it, was, it must have been the first time I'd actually physically seen a projector, and looked at this magic lamp doing what the hell? And this roll of um, celluloid going through this machine and putting Long cheney and Boris Karloff on a on a bed sheet on a wall. And I think that I, I, I definitely think there was a there was something flicked a little switch in me. Well, a bit of a slow burn, obviously, because I didn't do anything about it until until twenty odd years later.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like you were imprinted at that moment. Oh,
1: I certainly remember that—the the, the magic of, of of seeing that machine. Yeah. Wow. Well,
0: come here. You would have been what? Would you have been twenty twenty one when Stardust happened? In, in
1: uh, when was it? Seven? No, I was younger than that. Um,
0: where were you? Where where were you? do you remember? Like, is it?
1: Uh... I remember exactly where I was. I was I was in. Um, I I was up having a lemonade. I was on a, I was a, a bike, motorbiker at the time. Uh, and I, 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 as far as I remember, I was up at the, um, the somebody in, out in health. And you didn't drink when you were on a motorbike at the time, but it was a late night place because it, it was just death if you drink on a motorbike. And, um, i driving back down and I drove, for some reason, I drove past the Stardust just before the fire happened. Not long before that fire kicked off. And I remember getting into bed and hearing, the popping of—I uh, later found out—I think they were propane tanks. My dad had had not a car at the time, and him and a couple of neighbours, the fathers, dived into one of the fathers' cars and went off in search of information because all we had at the time was on his radio.
0: But were you? Did you have siblings who might have been there? My sister what, was in the fire. Oh, she was there.
1: Yeah. Uh, she was two years younger than me, so she would have been 17, I suppose 17, 18, something like that. Uh, no mobile phones. And the radio was <coughs> on. It was live reports, and they kept—they were saying there's three dead. 20 minutes later, there's five dead. And the number kept going up. And the the, the waiting, as you can imagine, was, um, was horrific, uh, because with every increase in the number, it got closer to the possibility that it was one of your own so i um, helped on the bike uh, and i went straight to the to the matter hospital and it was carnage um it, it 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 was like vietnam there was just squawked hairs arriving ambulances arriving people coming in with blistered hands i i, I remember being uh. Like, just overwhelmed in the middle of the night with the amount of things going on, the manic nature of it. Uh, and, I mean, this, this this sounds pretty rough. I remember there was those talking about earlier on that were in Kulak, the the boot boys, the hard boys. There was one of them specifically you'd definitely get out of the way of. This guy walked or in, and I recognised him immediately. And his hands... Uh, had been burnt that so much so that the skin was hanging off the tips of his fingers. I mean, horrific, horrific, right? And Bunkwoods are any more detail than that. And one of the nurses came over to him and he was just holding his hands up like that. Uh, and this sight of this, this scary individual uh, look at, looking for help. And here's the weird thing. She said to him, look, come over here, I'll look after you. And he said the following. I was just like, he said, Look, I'm okay, there's people worse than me. Look after them first. This this the, you know, fearsome reputation, bum bum bum, and he did this. Uh, the the mess that made of my head when somebody that you know you're you know when your 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 preconceptions are just shattered. I'm looking for my sister, blah, blah, blah. Um and uh anyway, a couple of minutes later, some guy came in that I knew my sister knew the friend of and i said have you seen maria and he said i saw her um yeah she's uh i saw her getting in the back of a squad car with her, a friend so i figured she's obviously not too injured if they're putting her in a police car and not an ambulance so i hung around as long as i and there was you know there's obviously vincent's and, and at the time where jervis street shopping center is now was jervis street hospital Uh so i went to jervis street uh and they 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 were wonderful in there. They said, "Look again, we haven't. We're trying to take care of people, but go in there. There's people that are not too injured. They've put out camp beds." And I walked in, and my sister was in there, uh, with her, f- her friend beside her. Uh, the relief
0: uh, of that must have been.
1: Yeah, and I stayed for two minutes, and I said, "I have to get home." They don't know you're okay. I have to get home. So on the way home was our friend Catherine. So I said, "I better go into her first, her mum first, because I knew there would be out." And this is this I actually had my. Parked up the bike, I left it run and I ran up just to knock at the door on the way out to my mom to give her the good news. And I knocked at the door, and her mother opened the door in her robe. And I just and I I just said, "Look, I've just been to Jervis Street Hospital. I've seen Maria and Kath They're they're okay." And she punched me in the chest. It was the weirdest thing. She just punched me in the chest and she called me a liar because she'd been listening to the news reports and was convinced that there was hundreds dead and her daughter was dead. And I had to. I had to. Fend her off. And. Um, uh, and I just said. She's fine. I can't hang around with you. I have to go up. And die. I've told you first. I haven't even told my mom. And I, I. I. I hopped on the. On back on my bike. And it was. You know. 300 yards away. Uh I ran in and told. Told me. My my mum. And. And then we had no way of getting the message. To my dad. Who was searching. And I didn't know where he was. They were out. They could have been anywhere. Um And. And. Uh, yeah, it was horrific. Yeah, it was. It was pretty. Listen, it, that that was pretty bad night, but it just got uh, impossibly worse for the uh, for the the victims um, um, and families. Yeah, yeah.
0: The the, the just the very the, the aftermath of that. Yeah. and how it was reported, and how you know the, the the official reaction to it, if I can put it that way, to yeah. the fire. Just talk talk a little bit about what that did to that community, to the, your community at that stage.
1: Ah, uh, it was it was absolutely um, the first thing that uh, everybody seemed to do was start finding excuses and trying to blame the people inside. It was exactly for for them that now, uh, and and for people that know about the Hillsborough uh, uh, disaster, when the, when the police and the newspapers, specifically the Sun, started um, blaming the victims. Um uh, and it took them so many years to be exonerated, and um, and purely, and this is not left wing chippy working class stuff, uh, purely because they're they, they they were working class, and and Charlie Bird put it perfectly at the memorial that I went to uh, at the Stardust. They put up a <coughs> a large um, marquee, and 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 the families were there, and I popped in along, and Charlie was absolutely wonderful because he was on the scene that that night, um, and he said.
0: And he has worked, and just to say, Charlie Byrd has worked with those families over the Unbelievable. years. Unbelievable. Uh, and st- stuck with them.
1: Yeah, unbelievably yep. so, and he was fearless. I've, everybody was thinking it, but it took Charlie to say it, and Charlie said that if this had happened in Annabelle's, or anywhere around Dublin 4 or Dublin 6, or whatever, I thought, the, it, it, this inquiry, the inquiries wouldn't have been going on for 40, you know, 50 years, whatever, 40 years. Um, It wouldn't have gone on. People were abandoned, The 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 these working class people were blamed. Um, it was disgusting, and it's still going on. It's um, uh, the 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 disregard. So so the people just felt swept under the carpet, and were full of anger, and quite rightly.
0: Are you? Go- I know that that um, those inquests are finally about to get underway. Finally, will you? Do you think you could be a witness at that? Actually, just having heard your story I, now. Well,
1: I wasn't. I wasn't there. I, I wasn't at the. Uh, I mean, mine, mine is a very small part of that story, but the, and and I wasn't involved, but the nuts and bolts of why that happened, to me, so it doesn't happen again, and uh, and uh, and people stop swerving from the blame of what went on, and and uh, that's what needs to be done. I did think. it
0: shape? Did it shape your 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 political outlook at that time?
1: There was loads of things. My dad's uh, employment. Uh, 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 troubles. Um, as I said, I was a punk at the time, which you know the primary philosophy was think for yourself, uh, and that helped and, and that was bizarrely when when you were being groomed to be a worker bee in society, which you were in working class schools. Uh, uh, you you never you never um, expected or decided upon to to make your own way in life. Um, uh, so it was a combination of things yeah and uh and and the and the fact that i I still think there is a, a and listen, I get it people in positions of i I'm now in a position of privilege, and your first instincts are to protect your own they the, of course they are i've done well let's make sure my kids do well, let's make sure that's that's human nature, but when it becomes a club. Uh, uh, and the only way you can manage it is by the art of exclusion. Uh, that's when it becomes non-democratic, and when it becomes, you know, listen, anybody worth worth their salt now, the camp, you know, capitalism and the free market is so anti-democratic that it, it needs to be severely um, eyeballed and made sure that it it doesn't get in the way of um, of fairness and and and, and morality and, and stuff, you know and and it doesn't lend itself to free market and capitalism and it doesn't lend itself to democracy to a democratic country
0: okay that seems like a good point to take another another of our random questions Liam.
1: Da, 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 da.
0: Da, give us the number
1: go on i'll go uh, looking for Psalm 13
0: okay 13 what book are you reading right now
1: oh please uh, you should not uh, there's a wonderful joke in um, you remember Porridge uh mm-hmm. with Ronnie Barger.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: It's great just beautiful writing. And one of the prisoners in there who wouldn't be the brightest, uh, I tend to uh, associate myself with his philosophy when they said when they were talking about what books they were reading. And the guy in the in a silence just goes, Yeah, I read a book once. It was green. <laughs> All he can remember is the core of them. And I'm a bit like that. I've I've said I've got a couple of friends who have been recently diagnosed with ADHD um, and uh, uh, and I said to them, so uh, like how did it manifest itself? Uh, and I started listing their symptoms and I kind of went,
0: "Yeah, doesn't everybody have <laughs> that?
1: So uh, I, I've, I've a load of, uh, it's kind of weird because my job is reading scripts, books I have big trouble with, especially when I've read the same paragraph so, you know the way you get distracted and you're just going to go oh my god i've read just read it and i don't remember anything what i read i'll go back to the start of it i'm going to tell you got to the end of the i have that like terminal that i have so it's pretty tricky for me to get i get in trouble with george o. r martin He kept asking me every season have you read the books i've got no george i just no way i can read those books um, and script you've tar- never
0: read the books
1: no, I just have spent the last year on a new show for Netflix called Three Body Problem, and that's science fiction. I haven't read those either. <laughs> I know it's terrible. <laughs> uh, I know I I'm awful. Do you, I
0: mean, when was the what was the last book you did actually? Oh finish? Christ!
1: That uh, I finished probably the famous five. No, I'm only joking. Um, what have I got? I've loads of wonderful stuff here. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm a big fan of cookbooks. Um, I've loads of books. Um, but novel? Uh, Christ. I did like, I managed to get through a couple of John Le Carrés a while ago. Uh, a while ago. Uh, but I'm trying to think when I open up. I go back in The yard, you time trying to... Sorry,
0: hang on. My next question, my next question. What, what do you do on a plane then? What do you do to get through uh, the transatlantic flight?
1: I sleep. I have me grove. I have two little glad two those little bottles of wine. I find wine incredibly soporific. Suffer- I put my earphones in, uh, and I I, I uh, turn on the noise cancelling, and I pray to dear God that I, I sleep. Yeah.
0: Okay. I can't uh, sleep on planes. Yeah. Okay. 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 I leave you off the hook. I won't ask you any more about books. Uh, yeah. You won't be. I won't be inviting you to my book club if I ever join. No.
1: Uh, no. Uh. I wouldn't know.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. We'll, we'll scoot through the next bit of your life because what? uh I because you, you did an apprenticeship
1: uh, in the ESB, yeah. the
0: ESB. Yeah ended up in Zimbabwe, which seems like an extraordinary thing for a young lad from Kulak to, to do in their early twenties. Yeah, it's my first time on a
1: my first son on a plane was going to live in Zimbabwe for three and a half years. Um broke my mother's heart on a terrible son. And, um and, um They came over looking for people. They got independence. Mugabe got in in 1980. And uh, in 1980, there was 250,000 white people. In 1984, there was 50,000 left. 80% or whatever it is of the white population uh, made a run for it, took the gap, as they called it, uh, to South Africa uh, and took, uh, because they kept all the good jobs for themselves, they didn't have skilled people to run their network. So they came over, and I've been asked to write a treatment for this. Somebody said, this would be the best um, a television show. So they came over and took a load of uh, 21, 22, 23-year-olds, uh, I think about 30 or something like that, and brought us all over, uh, stuck us in Land Rovers, and, and we drove around Africa keeping Zimbabwe uh, Electricity Network going. Um, and that, yeah, that's what I did for three and a half years.
0: I mean, though, that was the genocide you I mean, did, did you witness much violence that time?
1: No, it was there. Was uh, what they called them at the time dissidents. So uh, basically, because this is what people don't get is when they kind of look at you know these the, the people in Africa are uh, not capable of uh, of democracy and blah blah blah. You know, to, to look down on them as being not not sophisticated in uh, in any shape or form, which is. Desperately, uh, I won't say racist. It's just misinformed. For instance, Zimbabwe, the country that Cecil Rhodes got a you know a pencil out and wrote this is my country and I'm going to name it after me. And um, there are two main tribes. So two two thirds of, of the population are Shona, uh, the, the Shona tribe. It's Mashona land, uh, and that's Mugabe's tribe. And then at independence, he was fighting with Joshua Nkomo, who at at the time was the leader of the ZANU. Uh, and the Annabelle tribe are kind of an offshoot of Zulus. Very different cultures, very different personalities. Wonderful. Both of them absolutely wonderful, but incredibly different. Uh, so when the country, you know, finally got independence, you've got two-thirds of the country are Shauna, one-third are Ndebele. So for democracy, you're elbowed. You, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're going to win every time, uh, which is hence why you sometimes, sometimes you get civil war, sometimes People want boundaries changed, you know, country boundaries changed or partition, whatever it may be, and that's why it, it it's it's extremely difficult to make work in uh, in places like Zimbabwe. It was also in South Sudan. There's 60 different tribes, 60 different languages in South Sudan. you know, the country's newest planet, 2011, I think it got independence, and that's incredibly difficult to. Um, to manage to police to make happy and and especially as a new place so there's going to be a vying for power a vying for protecting your lot and that sort of stuff can lead to violence and especially when you discover oil and uh good quality oil and the, the, the resource course yeah
0: Kumir, uh but did you did you witness violence
1: uh no i did have to carry a gun um uh to, uh, and be told by the management don't let the guys you're working with see it because if you are stopped they'll, they'll all point and go he has a gun um, so I did have you know
0: that did you know how to use it? Uh, yeah from the movies <laughs> it, it
1: wasn't as bad for me you know what it was really bad for? the lads didn't understand uh, some of the other blokes were asked uh, by the African interviewers were you in the FCA? We ever in the FCA and they thought this is an odd question to be asking. A fellow from, you know, Mallow, uh, who's on his way out to work in Zimbabwe. And it was, uh, t- t- some of the guys, and I kept in contact with them, went to Bulawayo where there was a particular so called dissident problem. And they were, they were on their first day of work, they were walked into an armory and handed shotguns and bandoleros. Well, they're going, these <laughs> ESP bugs are going, What? <laughs> Yeah, I then had to go out on their, um but none of them were ever sort of kidnapped or, uh, or you know, taken or shot at or any, anything like that. Oh, we're, good. Okay. Yeah, which is so which is okay, so. which is nice.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look, you came home. You spent three and a half years there. You came. How did the acting start then? Just like, was it always there in the back of your mind? Was it bubbling, bubbling up, or?
1: I was the same. Out? I was the same as a lot of people. I loved my cinema. Loved television, and. I used to go down. There was a, there was a very good VHS store in Baggot Street, uh, beside the the hospital there, and uh, and I, I would try. I'd empty all the other video shops. There was nothing in Extra Vision or whatever it was at the time, uh, and the fellow that used to come around to your door in the Honda Fifty with them in the back box, all the all the uh, the Bowsey ones, um, and uh, so I, I used to you know world cinema and all that sort of stuff. I used to go, and then I was back about a month, and if 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 you take into account that for a year and a half of the time that I was in Zimbabwe, one of the areas I looked after was Hwangi, the national park, which is the size of Belgium. It's 16,000 elephants, and rhinoceros, all the big five, all that. And my job was to be in a four-wheel drive and drive around these places. It was just like a dilly. So when, you're, when you when come back, because I was on leave from the ESP, so when I came back to be put back in a little yellow van driving around Tremna, changing meters and doing all this. it just didn't have the same glamour so, um, so and, I was and lo- you're a glamorous man Liam are you? I, uh, I, well I did, no, no but you know what I mean um, and uh, so there was an ad in the back of the Irish Times for a, an acting school and and I just I was looking for a hobby to distract myself from the fact that uh, the, the the job was just didn't hold any interest for me anymore but i had made the decision myself my wife made the decision to come home and uh, so, and then when I, 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 you know, I did an audition for the action school. I got in, it was weekends and evenings. Uh, but when I started doing it, um, that peculiar thing happened where I, I just completely fell in love with it. It just became a drug. I, I just love the whole, the problem solving of it, which I still do. The, the, how do I get this truthful? How do I make it interesting? How do I make it entertaining? That, that, that puzzle, that jigsaw puzzle. I still find, um, inc- incredibly interesting, and uh, but I wasn't expecting to. I didn't to, so, but I got so into it that I just had to pursue it.
0: And like, did you sense yourself that you had something special as well? Like that you 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 had something to bring to it right away? Was that no? Something you I was
1: much more selfish than that. Uh, I I just I I was enamoured with the doing. I I still, to, to be honest, and it's not any sort of silly false humility or anything like that. I, I i don't really i'm still embarrassed telling people that don't know that do what you do I, I always i just helped in my like work in television I, I i can't say i find that, that the word actor does not like leaving my head Um, i love acting i just don't like the idea of being an actor it's 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 never sat well with me that might be a bit chippy but uh you know I, yeah, that, I, that's I, it def-
0: doesn't... Let me just tell you now. That's definitely chippy.
1: Okay. Well, fair enough. It's uh, you know, Mayor Colbert, uh, um Yeah. I just it just had so many negative connotations there uh, and all that sort of thing in it. But uh, but the process. I still love the process. If I get bored with the process, I'll stop doing it. You can't do it if unless you not even want to do it unless you have to do it.
0: I know you've probably been asked about this uh, so many times because it was, of course. I, I is this your big breakthrough role in Hunger and that that massive scene with Michael Fassbender?
1: No, well, I'd done the Winter Chase of Barley two years before, and we won the Pandora in, in in Cannes. You know, the biggest prize in cinema, a multiple candleout show.
0: I but loved that movie. Yeah, that was
1: in. That's a really cool movie, um, uh, and that was literally. I was blessed. Two years in a row, we got. Well, not in a row. Two, you know, one year, break a year, and then by 2006. I think it was 2008. That's 15, nearly 15 years ago. Um, Yeah, no, there was a remarkable thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It was, that was tough. Yeah.
0: And just tell me about that. How, Like, did you have a lot of runs at it? How Was it how, how uh, we, much improv, how much?
1: No, there was no, that's the big, greatest compliment we had was, the, 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 you know, what percentage of that was improvised. None of it was. And uh, the Walsh, who probably doesn't get as much credit as he should, uh, wonderful writer, uh, done a lot of work with in theatre with Killian Murphy, yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. and uh, an, an extraordinary guy. I think he wrote the musical uh, around uh, once, uh, the the Stout show, and he was also working with David Bowie uh, when he passed away. And uh, this uh, a bit of an unsung Irish literary hero, you know, and the people who know him know him and know what he is but i he, i don't how he's not a household name is beyond me and uh, and he he wrote this uh so for anybody listening or that doesn't know it, it's uh, it's a, it's i've one scene in the movie it's 28 pages long uh and the scene itself that we shot was 22 and a half minutes long i am reliably informed but to get it down um i may may and fastbender we just moved in together for for two weeks i think uh, and we just ran it like we were going to do a theatre piece, and then uh, Steve McQueen, uh, he he would be out prepping or, or or filming, and then he would come and see us in the evening and give us our notes, and we'd get up in the morning. Michael would make the parodies, and we'd get back into it uh, the following day. So, so we did that for two so weeks.
0: So every every word of that was on paper before. That's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, in in fact, I, I, there was there was only. There was only uh, there was like three or four lines that I that I asked for the uh, air to be changed that I, I I thought it might make more interesting, uh, like in the, in the piece when 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 uh, Michael Fassbender was playing Bobby Sands when he says uh, we're going on uh, we're going on hunger strike uh, in the um, in the original piece it, and this is tiny it, it was a shock to the priest that I play uh, and I said look we've got eight pages of build up small talk on their, talking about smoke and the lamentations and all sorts of wonderful uh, lead up uh, and I just thought it'd be more, much more interesting when uh, when Michael uh, when you know Bobby Sands said uh, we're going on hunger strike and he, the priest just looks and goes yeah I heard that all right so is that the previous small talk that we got you know it's those those kind of things just to grow it up a little bit but just a, cu- a couple of little sentences we took out it's an extraordinary piece he wrote
0: Extraordinary, yeah, really. I, I'm, I, I never knew that before. Now, the, before the second, that is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I have to say. Uh, do you have strong personal views on the national question? Um, I
1: think they've. I, you know what? I think they've found a balance. Well, it's, it's, it's always got to be what the people want. Um, and uh, the idea, I suppose, with a good political agreement, that in the event of the majority of people in Northern Ireland want want to join. Uh, the rest of Ireland, then then that's what should happen because that's what's democratic and it's what we've chosen to pursue. Uh, I think we've got to be very, very careful uh, to to take care and to, and to build the confidence of the, of the Unionists and the Loyalists that they, they would be comfortable uh, as part of a, a united Ireland. I think they'd be insane not to be, uh, seeing what's going down across the water and the fact that the UK evidently views Northern Ireland as a thorn in its paw uh, and would happily get rid of it i think if they could do it uh, with um, with the least amount of um, uh, embarrassment to them you know uh, they'd no choice for hong kong because they had a 100 year lease or whatever on the on the place but i, I you know, i've no doubt at all that, that, that the peers that be across the border um uh, would like to be rid of the place uh, um and um and I think a lot of unionist people and loyalist people realize that too.
0: Okay, bring me on to Game of Thrones. Another What's game
1: that? changer. Never heard of it. Never
0: heard of it. <laughs> I mean, it is so massive. Obviously, Uh yeah. it's such a cultural moment. Really, I suppose you'd have to say it's beyond. Uh, it did become you know, a phenomenon. A TV show. Yeah, a yeah, phenomenon. It did, is is the word. People,
1: people yeah. have called it perhaps the last water cooler television program because everything is. So it's fractured right, now, just, yeah. yeah. With you know, with your apples here and their various, yeah.
0: Tell me about your character, Seaworth. Did you? Because uh, it seems there's a lot of you in that character, obviously. Um, did you? Yeah. Did you have a role in developing that?
1: Not at all. No, no, no. When you're working with proper writers, I've been blessed. The word is always king. And when you're working, I did. I was lucky enough to do a year and a half the Royal Shakespeare Company, and you examined these beautiful things that these people have put on pieces of paper and that, that make us cry and laugh and blah 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 and the uh, the two boys who created the show Dan Royce and uh, uh, David Benioff they, they met at Trinity College they were there one one is a, a Beckett head and the other is a Joyce head and um, and that's where they met met and uh, uh the relationship uh, uh, kicked off from there and uh, culminated in them coming across these books and wanting to adapt them they're writers. These are proper, proper uh, writers, and um, I've, I've, and uh, they don't make it easy for themselves. I've just uh, that was for HBO, and the two of them uh, have moved over to Netflix, and I've just spent the last year working with them again on uh, on a new show, which is a uh, a Chinese science fiction, uh, which we've just uh, finished called Three Body Problem. Obama's a big fan of them, apparently. Uh, and it's a very hailed science fiction, and uh, so uh, if you think Game it's Thrones was difficult for them, um, this the scenario for this is it's a human, uh, the human race's first contact with an alien race, and the show starts present day and finishes at the end of the universe. <laughs> so, so they've given themselves a bit of a uh, a bit of a you know a bit of a challenge, shall we say. But then, but it's all in the right. It's all uh, just to go back to the right. They 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 wrote this this guy. This was some manic that show. If you think about it, there was various people uh, that were decent in it, like Samuel Tarley. John Bradley's character uh, was an enormously decent, moral, a clever individual, and you needed with the amount of backstabbing, and grasping for power, and um, you know, double-handed. Behavior and that, and that, that horrific disease—that is the desire for power—and um, you needed uh, somebody described Davos Seabord as a, the moral compass of the show. Is that he was the one that stood up, and God? You can't do this. This is—it's it, not always means to an end. The end is not worth it if the means are wrong. Um, and uh, so, so he—he he was there. Was a bit of a Jiminy Cricket about it, you
0: know? Yeah, the, the beacon of light there. Somebody, you, you're the person. Saying the things the person watching
1: it is thinking, basically. Yeah, yeah, and also trying to tell the person that wants to do the bad thing, you—you're not a bad person. You don't, you don't, you don't want to do this. And they find themselves, as a lot of people in power do, painted into a corner. The old, you know, the excuse of political expediency, and it has to be done. It's for the greater good. It's yeah, really, is it? Yeah.
0: Okay. That well, look, we talk politics then and and the current massive political issue here right now. Yeah. is um well there's two of them I suppose. Housing being one of them, the other one being the the what's happening in the last number of weeks and months with the migrant accommodation and Yeah. how communities are reacting to that. Yeah. So so obviously East Wall was one of the flashpoints for this in the last number of weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a few Asian provocateurs down there preying on people's fears. Yeah, I, yeah we get, that's easy to see. Um, listen, uh, it, there's, uh, Mark Twain said a wonderful thing uh, that if you get a jam jar and you put 50 red ants and 50 fire ants and put them in the jar, they won't do anything to each other. If you pick up the jar and shake the jar, they start killing each other. So the metaphor being, uh, the migrants aren't the problem, the people aren't the problem. It's who's shaking the jar. That's who we need to be. And basically, government policy has been shaking the jar. Um, you know, the official figures are with over 160,000 vacant derelict buildings, um, more than enough capacity to hold on. This idiotic hashtag, Ireland is full. We're not even really as full as we were before the famine 150 years ago. It's just, it's lunacy. It's, it's, it's grabbing onto it. It's misinformation. And the people who are protesting and they have every right to protest, as long as they keep it without fear, without hate and without threat of violence, they can do anything they want. They're aiming their anger at the wrong people. This has been consistent government. Like, I'm being generous. I'm putting it down to ineptitude. Other people would look at it as malevolent. But when you're inviting people in, when you're at school and I was in school, what do we hear loads about from our history teacher? The absentee landlords uh, and and, and us having to have a revolution to get rid of absentee landlords. Successive governments have invited absentee landlords back in with the hope, the stupidity, the stupidity of the hope that they would uh, well, what's, what, do they, what do they say, build them high and sell them cheap, that they would come in, build these places, they'd be cheap, everybody be looked after. That's not how it works with investment funds. They maximize profit. Greed is their credo, and it was in their interest to keep those prices as high as they can because the people giving them the money uh want to see, if not a return on their investment, they want to see that their investment is getting larger. And the only way to do that is keep the prices up. To the extent that they will keep their new buildings empty, to keep a shortage, to, to, to keep the prices up, they have no concern for for people and the the the, the gullibility of of a government who have been lobbied into a position where they were persuaded that this is a good thing. When I when I am a child of Kurluk being built by the Dublin Corporation, and uh, and had a good upbringing because of it. Uh, and the same for people in Tem people in Cladagh, and all the working class areas and around the country, of course. And and to uh, p- uh, put your hands up and go, oh no, no, this the government say so that this is for the private sector to take care of. It's just, it, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's no coincidence that a large percentage of our uh, cabinet and TDs are landlords because it's passive money they sit that they have in place and they've got the time to be landlords are uh, trying to be TDs because they're making profit in the background no, out not, there
0: I, I have to Liam because what
1: go on, go on, devil's advocate come on uh, you've let me ramp take let say me have it, it.
0: That, that they would say because they have said uh, in all of these debates that at the time it's all very well to to now be wondering where we should be getting our capital from but at the time post crash that they was that they had there was very few options there was uh, no other uh, investment was going to come in and build any houses here. The 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 industry, the construction industry here, was on its knees, and um, that there were few options, and that uh, okay. at that time that, 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 that's, that's what, that, that was the best. So that, that, I'll that's just the... I'll just throw that into your mix there. You
1: can you can, but I'd have to respectfully correct you by saying, in the sixties, before we were even in the EU and got European money. Kuluk was built, Tala was built, Kodogum was built at the time of huge amounts of high unemployment when we had no money. Where did that money come from? And things have never been better if you listen to the government. The spreadsheets look fabulous. We have so much money that we that Paso Dunaji put six billion in a rainy day fund while there's a monsoon outside the doll.
0: Again, I so would on. have to say Go on, I'm listening to you they will say that, that, And I do, I do think now that we are in a different zone, actually, because I don't think, like, for years we didn't have the money, we couldn't do it, we didn't have the money. Now I think there is no dispute that we have the money, the money is there. They couldn't spend a billion of the money last year. I think the problem yeah. now is we don't have the capacity to actually spend the money to build the houses. We don't have an industry that is tooled up to actually produce the number of... Houses we need. I think that's 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 the situation we now find
1: ourselves in. We did it in, t- in the year two thousands when we went on the. We took in those fifty thousand Polish people arriving every year uh, to do construction. We've got a load of uh, migrants who would be delighted to come in and make a living and send money home, the same way the Irish have done for the last hundred and fifty years. This is easily doable. We did it. We did it fifteen years ago. We did it in the sixties. What's to say we can't do it now when we have the money?
0: Yeah, so we kind of we come a full circle again. We go back to the migrant issue and our attitude yeah. towards uh, yeah. Um, to talk a little bit about the housing thing though, because you have grown up children. We did a program last week about uh, the number of grown up children who are living well into their thirties with their parents, and wondering are they ever going to get you know yeah. their own place?
1: The highest percentage of forty year olds living at home in all of Europe uh and one of the one of the reasons for that is that is, again, is, is government policy and the investment funds that since 2010 in Europe there's been an average, which is quite severe and I, when I when I looked at it, an average increase of 18 percent on rental prices and uh in in Europe, mainland Europe, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it's been an 18 percent increase in the last 12, 13 years. in Ireland, it's 82 percent. Uh, and to give you again to close, close to home, you mentioned about my like, growing up kids. Uh, I have. Uh, we've always been taught, and 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 again, they were in a position where they could chase down whatever education, whatever they wanted to do. And my daughter, who's married now, this is she a year next month. This month, she's married a year, uh, and she's just managed to get a house. They're thirty, and they've ju- managed to get a, a um um a house uh, after living with us for 10 years now he is uh, he's a phd he's a doctor of economics she is her own business and she works for a wonderful uh, uh, company uh, she's a video game designer they brought that back in as a lot of people do in college and trying to get their hands the social contract is if you work hard if you do bad you will have a, a nice existence you'll not be having a private jet but you'll enjoy your holidays from a change of care every couple of years, afford children, childcare, whenever you need to do. This to, that has been danced on; they were laughed at, and and obviously because he was, the, the, her husband was pursuing his education as well, which is you know when you go into a bank, saying I've uh, I've got my PhD and all that, you have no credit right you have no uh, this that and the other, and they were laughed at uh, uh, for getting a mortgage. So if you're have decided that you're going to be of great use to society and society says actually we don't really value that anymore not enough for you to have somewhere to kiss your children on the forehead when you want to go to sleep at night and 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 when you've got uh, because everybody sees it as a you know a poor you know a, a working class problem a blue collar problem but when it starts hitting those kind of people when that's um, when it's right across the socioeconomic economic economic uh, rainbow, um, that's when you know you're in trouble, and it, and that's when our, our the authorities, our government, or whatever, have not been taking care of business, because that that, that leads to a a mass evacuation of people to go some to because they live to go somewhere where they can actually have a life worth living, uh, and it's so short sighted. I I, I I uh the only way I do it is if I found myself forced into it. I can't I can't see myself doing it. It's so difficult to get anything done and there's people much better than me, uh more capable and, and are bullheaded enough to keep at it. I, I don't wanna I, I, I'm not affiliated with any um uh political party or anything like that, but uh, you know, I admire there are people I admire in there uh, that, that 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 take their job seriously and are a thorn in the side of the government. I mean, people like Richard Boyd Barrett, I have a huge amount of admiration for. He's he's relentless in annoying the powers that be, and and so he should be. He he in a lot of cases he's doing the job the press should be doing. Um,
0: Com- comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Uh,
1: exactly. And we need people like that uh, to keep our eye on on on. On on the um, the the uh, the lucky the lucky governmental people.
0: Speaking of the comfortable, Liam Cunningham. Yeah. People might look at you and say, "Isn't it fine for your man, (laughs) Mister Classic Champagne Socialist, lecturing working class people uh, uh, and uh, and the likes?" uh, While you're living the high life in Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got accused. Yeah, I've been told to shut your mouth. It's all right for you and your gated community at Hollywood. (laughs) God, are you telling me? I'm in the same house I've been there for the last thirty five years. Yeah. And um, I live I live simply. I've always been wary of I. I in my game, you're obviously you come in at like you can see some multi millionaires with their this, that and the other and I I saw what was required to keep that lifestyle going, the entourages and the the having to take jobs because you have your your your, your country house your your house in Provence, and your this, that, and the other, and the amount of work it takes, and just and I, I don't, I don't have it in me. I, I, I'm sure I could. The amount of you, you wouldn't believe the amount of money I've turned down the various uh, uh, jobs I've been offered. Should they go, especially in TV, huge money in TV, and uh, I drive a little car. I've you know I, I the simple life is. Is uh is much more there's more contentment to be had in a simple life than there is in that BS.
0: You must have made a few bob though in the last few years.
1: Well, I, oh well, I you know what I think I'm a, I'm entitled to make a few quits because I've had the sheriff at the door. I've nearly lost my house. I've uh had major trouble uh, on occasions just uh, throughout my uh, acting career trying to put just what food on the table and uh, and after 30 years of doing this it's the it's the bizarre it's the only kind of profession that if you're 30 years working in the bank and you're a bike manager they go well yeah it's all right for you with your big champagne yeah but nobody looks at the the 25 years you were you were on the counter uh and all that sort of thing I, i've paid my dues surely i'm uh, entitled to a bit of luck at this stage would you begrudge me a bit of luck after 30 odd years of doing this
0: we are not begrudging you anything yeah. one last one last question and then I'll let you go go on uh, go on another number
1: oh crikey ninety.
0: who is your number one dinner party guest dead or alive
1: oh crikey that's a really good uh, that's a good question oh I, I, listen I could get the oh, there's the obvious ones of course there's Mandela and all those Adiba because I lived down there and I, I was there when I was in South Africa when he was being buried um uh, and uh uh, and, uh for lively conversation I think maybe Harold Pinter. that does would have to be a list. there wouldn't be any one person just for his razor sharp tongue and uh, and his absolute with that plummy voice to crap all over authority and the establishment. I just love that. I love all that. Um uh general alive, dead or alive. Um Caravaggio. I'd like quite like to sit down with Caravaggio that maniac <laughs> uh, t- t- the man that can do the Temptation of Christ while going around murdering people in Naples Malta and and, and, and Rome I, I want to see how that brain worked I I'd find that I'd find him inter I'd be interested in people not uh, who've not even someone that achieved things obviously the famous people have achieved whatever but uh yeah but but yeah I think Caravaggio would be interested I'd like to I'd like to see I'd like to see if he box the head off, off me after after a nice b- a bottle of uh, Chianti or something. Yeah. Is there
0: going
1: to be any women at this dinner party? Uh, of course. Listen. There's a there's a there's a million women. Um, I'd, let, I'd want to like I would like a kind of quiz Mother Teresa, see what she's see what she was like. Marie Curie. Um. um I find the Williams—I haven't seen the movie, but the Williams sisters—I I just love the idea of where they've come from and find out where their 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 journey has been. Um, uh, Sir Leif Johnson uh, uh, was the president of Liberia. I did some work, a little bit of work in Liberia. Uh, Actually, he came in on the back of one of the worst horrific like genocides in in, in Africa, and uh, and calmed, I think she calmed the country down. I think I got it back. To, she's she's interesting. Uh, there's a there's there's any any amount any amount. I'm not uh, gender driven by this at all. Uh, Nina, Nina Simone oh, I love that I'd love to sit down with Nina Simone
0: Liam, I let you go. Thank you so much. You're an interesting man, I'll tell you. Oh, I okay. Could, I, could, I could do another hour of this easy. <laughs> you're not bored already.
1: You've lasted longer than most, Katie.
0: And that was Liam Cunningham. And that was the Upfront podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, subscribe now where you get your podcasts to hear more and tell all your friends. And I'll be back soon.